Hello, and welcome to Unsheathed with your hosts, Kyle Gold and Cam Hirosaki. We hope that you enjoy the program. Please stick around afterwards. There'll be cake and blowjobs. Hi, and welcome to Unsheathed number 39. <laughs> I'm Kyle Gold. I am uh, Cam Hirosaki, enjoying a delicious glass of uh, Riesling from Chateau Saint-Michel up in Washington. Washington State. Yes. Well, that's why it's up in. Oh. Washington, D.C. East, is east in. north vertical of here. Um, and uh, we're, uh, we're proud to come back to you with a regular episode of Unchi. No otter flustering surprises this time, unfortunately. You'll find a way, I'm sure. Well, I kind of think your constitution might not take two in one month, so in a row <laughs> we're gonna keep it we're gonna keep it a little more normal today um but I again want to thank everybody who helped make Unsheath presents number four such fun for us, and that of course begins with my co-host Cam Hirosaki, who was a wonderful rudder tailed sport about it all. I am a little proud of myself for making it through that without. <laughs> You know, losing consciousness. <laughs> and uh, also Kit, who helped from the technical end, and uh, Zausch, who supplied the lovely illustration, which should all be posted up online now. Uh, I also posted the text of the story so people can read it if they don't have time to listen to a podcast. And But if you're doing, if you're not listening to it, you're doing yourself a disservice because you're missing out on half the fun. You are. Possibly more than half. <laughs> because Hirosaki-san's reactions are just absolutely adorable and... Uh, I haven't was, gone back to listen to it to myself yet. It's uh, it's very, very cute. He gets very squeaky in the beginning. Yeah. And uh, and un- unfortunately, we didn't have a video camera, but uh, I can tell you all that the visual reactions were priceless as well. Oh, I don't doubt it. I actually uh, I posted to the uh, Unsheathed FA account my little uh, account on exactly how you managed to pull all that off. <laughs> So you, I won't uh, go on about it here, but you can read that. It's uh, it's quite amusing, and uh, we had a lot of fun with it. I think it's kind of a once-in-a-lifetime thing, though. Yeah, it better be. <laughs> um, but uh, otherwise, we've been working our little writer pause on our other projects. Yep. I'm revising out of position two. Right, and I'm... First drafting my story, which in my journal I've announced my working title for it is uh, Summerhill. I will tease you by not telling you what that means, but uh, I'm looking forward to hopefully finishing my first draft of it within the next uh, two weeks, three weeks or so. Which we're all looking forward to. What I've seen of it, I really like so far. Oh, thank you. I think it should be a a cool story. Um, Out of Position 2 is coming along. I'm changing some characters around from the first draft and eliminating some scenes and rewriting some scenes and I had to completely change the whole character's arcs and motivations and um, that means rewriting just about every scene they appear in. So it's um, it's a lot of work, but it's also a lot of fun because I get to see a better story come out the other side and that's always always gratifying. Um, I did recently finish the draft of the out of position bonus story that I promised to write and went through and revised it again, but I think I need to pass it to a couple people before I post it online. But uh, 
You guys should be seeing that up in the next few weeks, I oh, would say. That wasn't Unsheathed Presents number three? No, no. Oh, I thought it was. No, that just happened to have a couple of oh, out of position characters. No, no, no. This is actually a, a different story, which um, All right. which I'll unveil later on as appropriate. Man, you're just prolific, aren't you? You know, when I'm not writing a thousand words a day on a novel, I have a little more time and, you know, auto pause, get in the way of the devil's work or something. Uh, so. Apparently I'm too busy s- stretching. <laughs> I, I can't, you, I, my paws are only occupied with you part of the day. But a very important part, the best part. I will point out that right now Kyle's powers are not where I can see them. <laughs> Sadly, Kit's all the way over on the other side of the room, but... Which makes you wonder even more, doesn't it, folks? He is the tech-savvy wolf. If he could have come up with some kind of a little uh, in-studio wormhole that allows me to have my paws down sort of the back of this chair and coming up somewhere else. (laughs) Kit says we'll fix it in post. Oh, I bet you will. I don't know what that means. No. We'll we'll fix it in post. Um... Just as a sort of a language aside, I don't have the aversion to the verb fix that a lot of people seem to ascribe to furries. Like, I've talked to furries, and I'm like, you know, I'll fix that right up for you. And they're like, don't use the word fix around a furry. Really? People do that? Oh, yeah. I have never come across that. Yeah. I've had, it's kind of like the the gay people that are like, you know, go gaily forward. Oh, God. Um, And, uh, yeah, so I don't. That's like over activism. It, uh, I, yeah, I kind of. Well, feel like, why would you have inversion of the word fix? We're not pets. Well, all right, some of us probably think of ourselves as such, but on the whole, right. well, uh, yeah, and it's it's kind of a dogs and cats thing, and it doesn't really apply to wild animals. And uh, I never heard I of think anyone it's fixing just, a river otter. I think it's just we ain't broken. Well, after you last, were, week, you were we last were. week. <laughs> chirp, chirp. Um, but uh, no, I think it's just one of those things where, and it does, it kind of applies to the way people tell their stories too, in that it's kind of one of those extra details that is just a little too much over the top. And it, it, I think people do it to try to make themselves seem that much more furry. Or, yeah. you know, maybe they really, they just look for meaning in every word that they pick. And that one, you know, I'm not. I'm not calling out people who do that. If if a word bothers you, then it bothers you. But I'm just saying, don't expect me to be bothered by it because I'm a furry. Because it doesn't mean that to me. Yeah. It's like I made a tweet the other day about how I feel guilty whenever I use the word sheath in a non-erotic context in furry writing. Didn't you have a story where uh, one of your... Actually, you and I had a conversation about this, which led to one of my Christmas stories. Oh, Wait, which one? You were when you. You were at a Starbucks with... Um, oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> and one of your coworkers said, oh, the Christmas sheaths are back. <laughs> That's right. And, and yeah, I, I allowed think, myself a moment to happily think about that mental image. And I think you, I think that led to my Miracle on 34th sheath story. Because that gave me the title. And then I started IMing you a conversation that to first we're having about who gave better blowjobs and um, yeah that was a nice story actually and that became a story well i i do enjoy writing about blowjobs so so say we all yes 
the greater good. <laughs> um, so that's what we're all that's what we're all up to. Um, still thinking about a live show sometime this summer. Um, seems like people are going to be around June and July, so maybe sometime in there. And other than that, we could we got some questions to talk about. So yeah, all right, and getting back to the show. Yep. We are unsheathed. Our term for intercourse is yiffing. <laughs> and we have a and we and you email your questions by the way to unsheathedpodcast at gmail dot com because somebody owns the domain unsheathed at gmail and we're not quite sure what they do with it. There's am, also an unsheathed on Twitter though. I found out. Uh oh. It's just someone who posts. They don't <sighs> seem to have a business or anything. They just call themselves unsheathed. I kind of want to write them and say, "Do you realize that you're." You've taken the name of a gay adult furry podcast, but on the other hand, I kind of don't because maybe they had it before we did, or or maybe they didn't, <laughs> or maybe they didn't. But anyway, uh, go ahead with the question. Yes. So, hey, Kyle and Cam, I'm considering being a writer, but since I'm inexperienced at the moment, I'm sticking to reading stories like yours a lot. However, I suppose you could call me a picky wolf, as I mainly only like stories with certain characters in terms of species and looks. Yet, I also don't want to miss out on a great story just because it has a species that does not make me feel as immersed for my own reasons. For example of a minor change, in Kyle's story Waterways, I found it hard to imagine a black fox, who knows why, so I changed him in my mind to a red fox. Now my question is, do you think this breaks the story in most cases, or feel awkward that somebody changing their story around, even if it's within their own mind? Or do you even encourage this to make it more enjoyable to read? P.S. I have no idea if there's an official name people use for this. Thanks, Tasteless Wolf. I don't know if there's an official name, but I think there should be one. Yeah. That's very, like, Neil Gaiman of it. Like, like is there a word for this? There should be. Yeah. Um, if I'm saying, if you find it hard to imagine a black fox, there's a picture of him on the cover. Yeah, <laughs> you, yeah. You I'm can not... see what he looks like. <clears throat> but at the same time, I know we've both heard from fans who are like that, who say, I can't appreciate... Uh, or I can appreciate a story, but in order for me to really like a story, it has to be with a species that I'm attracted to. See, now, my question on that is, is this specifically about erotic stories or stories in general? Because if you're not going to, I think the idea of not reading a story because like, oh, this, you know, story is about a coyote and I don't like coyotes, so I'm not going to read it. Uh, that kind of, as a writer, that makes my hackles raise, and I'm just like, what? Yeah, but I do understand it. I mean, there was a story that I read many years ago about some goats. I think they were, they were the goats or sheep, mm. and they were sort of the more intelligent civilization, and they were always under attack by the wolves, who were the savage carnivores. And it was a story of a war between these wolves and the sheep and ultimately you know the wolves were portrayed as barbaric savages and eventually the sheep win and there's slaughter of wolves and stuff and while i appreciated the story and i, I enjoyed it and it was well written and all that i did have kind of a, a visceral emotional response to it because i found myself a little bit identifying with the wolves mm -hmm. and so it's kind of the opposite of something like there's stories that are poorly written, but there's elements about them that I emotionally I connect to and I enjoy. And I can say, well, it's not a very good story, but I like it. Yeah. I mean, 
I almost get it more in a sexual context than in a yeah. non-sexual one. Like, you know, like, all right, you know, as a furry, I will say, you know, there are certain species to which I am more attracted than others. And, you know, there are certain and, and ones there are that... there are certain that you are not attracted to. Yeah, and, you know, there are certain ones that, you know, and in a non-sexual sense, there are species that I identify with more than, you know, than others. Like you were saying, like, like identifying more closely with wolves than with, you know, sheep. I mean, like, okay, like, I can understand what that's like, too. Um, but you know, if somebody says, Hey, this is a good story, but then it's like, Oh yeah, but I'm not going to fap to it because it includes species Y instead of species Z. Then I'm just like, well, are you doing yourself a disservice there? Uh, as for whether it's okay to change your imagination to not fit what the author's trying to say, that's kind of a little bit of a touchy point too. But yeah, I think it, I think it depends, and I was kind of thinking of that. I mean, in my works, when I when I conceive of a character, the species is part of that. Yeah. And I know there's examples that you and I have seen, actually one fairly recently that we're not going to talk about, but in which the species were not really important at all. And it's... Um, for me, it's the species is always a part of how I imagine the character, and so it's always something that I try to get across. And just from on a personal level, if I hear, well, somebody, I've replaced this species with one in my own imagination, then I think, well, in a sense, I feel like I didn't do my job because yeah. I made it interchangeable enough that someone can go out and just say, oh, well, I don't want Samaki to be a black fox. I want him to be a giraffe. And I'm just going to imagine the story with him as a giraffe, and I think, well, if they can do that, then I, I think I did something wrong. They're like, what's Samaki doing in a swimming pool if he's a giraffe? <laughs> Drowning. <laughs> um, but on well, the other you know, hand, you know, imagining him as a different color. Yeah, that doesn't bother thing. me as much. Yeah. Um, but on the other hand, too, and we, we, I think we've touched upon this, but we may not have actually talked about it very much. All. All stories are a contract between the author and the reader. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, yeah. And I'm only bringing a part of the story to you. You supply the other part of the story yourself. And you draw on your own life experiences. You draw on the parts of the story that appeal to you and speak to you. And the story that you fashion in your head from what I've written down on paper... Well, I'll, I'll back up. The story that ends up written down on paper is only a part of what I'm envisioning in my head and hopefully it conveys enough of it to let someone else get most of that story. But the story that you have in your head is only partly driven by what's on the paper mm -hmm. and you fill in the blanks from your own experiences. And so in that sense, I kind of feel like, well, if it helps you enjoy the story more to imagine Samaki is a red fox, then... Yeah, why not? Yeah, and I can see that. You know, on I think there's always the desire for the writer to want the reader to see things the way that you know the writer wants them to be seen. But right. there's some of that. You know, as for the whole thing about oh, he's considering being a writer, but you know, he's going to start just by reading a lot. I approve of that wholeheartedly. Absolutely. And uh, you know, and I would encourage don't just read stories with species that you think are physically attractive. Um, and I would say, read outside the furry fandom. Yeah, and learn. The, this is the hard part, but we talk. We have talked about this a lot. Uh, learn to read critically, 
And what that means is read a story, read something that you like, and then read the story again and go through it and say, there's, there's usually going to be a point in the story where you say, this is where it got really good. Yeah. And examine that and look at it from a technical level and see how did the author get you to that point and what about it makes it really good? Because it's not just the words in that paragraph that made it really good. One of my favorite, um, one of my favorite examples of that is a book by P.G. Wodehouse, who oh, is yes. amazing, amazingly funny. And I got, I was about 12 or 13 chapters into the book. And one of the chapters ends with this phrase that one character says to another and it just killed me it was so funny and kit asked me oh what's so funny and i realized i can't just read him that phrase i'd have to read him the entire book because Mm -hmm. it drew on everything that had been set up in the past 12 chapters and it had come to this point and all these elements of the farce had all come together at this one moment this is why writing humor is really difficult. Oh God! Yeah, it's because so it, hard. You need to have the right setup. I mean, like I, I'm sure I've mentioned on the on the show before that people write humor because they think it's easy, and I think it's probably the hardest thing to write. Yeah, and I mean by comparison, I mean sex is kind of hard, but it's her, easier. Her. It's easier than humor. I mean, just because sex and humor are two things that are really personal to everybody. What turns you on? is likely to be pretty unique. Mm -hmm. Things you find funny are likely to be really unique. And it's so hard to get to write something humorous that's broad enough to make everybody laugh. Yeah, I noticed that. And I think that actually the picture for Unsheathed Presents Number 4 illustrates that well. Because it wasn't just me, but like I noticed other people. It's like, oh, God, the way like that little curl in the tail. It's like, which isn't even a sexual detail, but that's the sort of thing that people will just pick up on. And like, it's just like little tiny things like that that just really like affect, you know, it's like your own mental filter on what you think is enjoyable. And I was actually thinking about that. Um, as I was thinking about that picture, because uh, when we posted it earlier today, um, that something that makes Zausch such a good artist is not necessarily the detail that he puts into the sex or the positions of sex that he puts in. It's the things like the expression. It's the things mm-hmm. like those little curls of the tail. It's the things like the little paw under the balls. Um, and it's the little details. And Because, you know, anybody can draw a drippy cock. Uh, okay most people can <laughs> i'm just gonna back myself right out of that one um but as opposed to back yourself right onto that one <clears throat> oh swish kit's still working on that technology um but uh but it is those little details and the fact that he can put those details into a picture and have it be something that lots of people key in on is pretty cool. And that same kind of thing applies with humor where, you know, we we're fans of 30 rock and the broad underpinnings of that comedy are pretty common, but the little twists that they can put on top of it 
are what really make that show unique. And the fact that they are able to keep doing it and make it funny to a lot of people and is, it is in the really specific, impressive. And it is in the specific details and the self-referential things where it's like, oh, if you didn't see this thing three episodes ago, this joke wouldn't be nearly as funny now because of it. <clears throat> but they're doing what Arrested Development did, which is yeah. each episode is individually funny. They just get funnier when you know all the back references. Right. Because we've, we've shown uh, episodes of 30 Rock to like um, – I think we showed him to we showed one to B Hop when he was down here for the uh, for the recording. Uh, we've showed him to a bunch of other people and had people who are like, "Yeah, I kind of heard about it, but I, I I never really watched it." And we'll show them a couple episodes, and they'll be like, "Wow, I have to start watching this. It's amazing." Yeah. Like my parents for the longest time, I was like, "Do you watch Thirty Rock? Do you watch Thirty Rock?" And I'm like, "No, no, no." And like you know, when your parents are recommending something, you're like, "Okay, like you know." You, you think your parent your parents think they understand you but they usually don't my parents actually know me better than i give them credit for and so like when i finally did start watching it i'm just like why wasn't i watching this all these years i'm like oh people were trying to get me to and i just wasn't <laughs> um one last thing kit kit brought up a question um he asked me why did i choose a black fox for waterways and what did that mean to the story and the short answer is I chose a black fox because the friend who wanted me to write the story said it should be a black fox. Um, Cop out. But, <laughs> well, not really. But in a, more, in, in a more realistic sense, what it meant to the story is he's a fox, but he's a little different. He's not unique. There's not – he's not like a gold fox because, you know, those would be – yeah. Or a purple fox I'm or a teal fox. To, I'm thinking back to the... Did you ever hear the Deep Thoughts? Oh, with Jack Andy? Yeah. He's like, it's a pity there's not such a thing as a golden skunk, because I bet you'd be proud to be sprayed by one. <laughs> um, so there's not such a thing as a golden fox, but there are black foxes, and they're kind of rare, although ecologically they didn't used to be as rare. It's just their fur was more prized, and so they got overhunted, and now they're very rare. But... But they're making a comeback because people aren't hunting them for their fur anymore. So anyway, you have yeah. these black foxes, which are about between 10 and 25% of the population, depending on where you are. Yeah. Biology lesson, black foxes are red foxes that are just black. Yes. It's called a different color phase. Yeah. There are three primary phases of red fox coloration. But And Sabaki is the only member of his family who is black, right? He is. Yeah. And so that was it was intended to kind of set him apart from... He's the only one who dates boys. The rest of the family. Right. <laughs> Um, he's the black fox of the family. And uh, I see so what you was, did there. <laughs> uh, so that was so that was the rationale behind that, right? So it was so in the context of that story, it was important. So, right, and so Kit's point is, if a reader makes it a red fox, that kind of removes that level of detail from the overall story that I was trying to tell, which is true. And but again, uh, there there have been readers who um, who will tell me that you know they got X and Y and Z out of a story, and I'm like, but didn't you read that part of the story where it specifically contradicted that? And they're like, oh yeah, yeah, I just kind of ignored that. It's like being a comic books fan. <laughs> yeah, or it's like this issue sucked. I'm going to pretend it didn't happen. Oh god, we're not going to go into it, but we were talking about continuity between different writers writing the same heroes in different books, like different writers on X-Men and stuff. We were talking about that this weekend and just it just amuses us. 
if you're a, a let's fan never, of let's never do that cam uh, i i will i will say that if you are the sort of person who's into comics and would like you know can can appreciate tearing apart the bad aspects of comics i would suggest checking out uh this fellow uh who posts under the name linkara l-i-n-k-a-r-a he sort of does uh where does he post he has his own blog, and he also has like a sub site on uh, thatguywiththeglasses.com. Okay. Who hosts? So if you, you know, just Google his name, it'll come yeah, up. Yeah, just type in Linkara, uh, and you'll find it. And he does sort of like a a video blog where he'll pull apart bad comics writing. It's actually awesome. It is. Oh, it is. It is as enlightening as it is funny, especially if you're into comics. All right. Well, I think I hope we've um, met Tasteless Wolf's letter, although. I will say that um, we need to come up with a term for replacing a species with another species in your head. Um, I, I had a friend who just called it personal editing, hmm. um, but he he was using it in a broader term of like when he watches movies, he personally edits them so that he's watching a different movie. <laughs> I'm thinking like... Which is how Reign of Fire he thought was great. I'm thinking like psychotransmorphism or something. I'm trying to come up with a. See, I was thinking of... reanimaling. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it! Now you have the reanimator song stuck in my head. You bitch. Ha ha ha! I'll drink wine. You read an email. All right. Getting the characters from point. Oh, this is from Power Stinger, and is talking about the story that we've challenged him to write. Getting the characters from point A to F was actually easy enough. The thing that got hard for me, her, her, was upon reaching point F was, well, what would they do? That and exactly what kind of added ingredient would this lube have? I think I managed to answer both questions in a satisfactory manner. Plus, I think I was able to pile on the hotness as well. While getting Hirosaki to get his rudder to swish is apparently easy, I'm kind of looking to get your tail to wag, Kyle. No idea what does. I haven't been listening to the podcast much. I'm not but that I was, easy. But I always strive to put out a good story, even if I'm, even if sometimes when some people randomly tell me how much they enjoyed my story, I feel just a bit uncomfortable. <laughs> you can turn off those notifications from the website. I'll just say that. Uh, which I did. Um, oh, and most importantly, as of the time of this writing, I have 2,215 words. Yay! I'm actually kind of proud of myself, especially since I didn't get my 200 words down every day. I still managed to put down the 200 and put out something I think I can be proud of. The story's not finished yet, but I'm going to see if maybe I can finish it, then come back to it and make some changes and edit it or something. Maybe I can submit that to your little draft editing episode. Who knows? That's a good idea. Anyway, challenge complete, and I hope to finish this particular challenge story within the next week or so. I'm always eager for feedback, so don't be afraid of letting me know how I did. Perhaps a third challenge on the way. I kind of think these are fun. Witty regards. Pyro, blowjobber. Is he a blowjobber or a blowjobby? Apparently he's blowjobber, which is kind of interesting because he professes to be a straight boy. Um, Straight boys can't... Straight boys really don't give blowjobs. Oh, please, have you ever looked at Craigslist? (laughs) (laughs) Clearly not. (laughs) I have a wolf. And I'm a little bitch too, apparently. Uh, um, but uh, you said it, not me. The um, yeah, so we're looking forward to seeing the story. We'd love to. Uh, we'd love to use it as the uh, draft editing yeah. example. 
And uh, hey, speaking <laughs> of which, we're looking for other people to send in stories. Uh, I forget who we called out actually. We uh, called out all our K listeners, I think. Yeah, we Cos called out and Condrill. Condrill. And, I don't. Yeah, yeah. We called out Condrill. We called out Pyre. I don't think we specifically called out Cos, but we should. So let's do it now. Yeah. And foosball, actually, we should call out too. Mister Hacksaw himself. Yes. Mister Eep Squeep. <laughs> Mister Eep Squeep, motherfucker. I need to get Kit to break out like the sample file and just give me that as like a clip, so I can actually put that as like a thing on my phone. Oh, Kit wants to do a whole a whole bunch of sound bites. Does he really? Yeah, I think he wants to do your uh, "What's Going On" from, <laughs> <laughs> from the last from last week. That I haven't actually gone back and re-listened to it yet. I'm going to have to do that. You, you will. It's, I, I, I do. I do listen to every episode of this of this show when it's done. Uh, I, but I, I've just been so behind on my podcast lately. Yeah, I've been listening to the last few actually. Um, I need to the, listen. The, the The next one in queue is the one where we had foosball on. Actually, right. Yeah, I, I started listening to that one. Uh, the problem is that I have a lot of podcasts that I like to listen to and not a lot of time. And as yeah, I, same here. As I've said to someone. I have a lot of podcasts I want to listen to where I don't know what's going to be said next. So yeah, and yeah, like I can't listen to a podcast and really do other things because I need to listen to it. Right. Because if you're not it's listening hard. to it, you don't catch it. I, I listen to mine at the gym usually. You know what? That would be a good excuse for me to take up a gym membership. Wow! There you go. Get my rudder swisher back in gear. Uh, so we're looking forward to seeing what Pyro has for us. And we're looking forward to seeing what other people are sending in as first drafts compared to final drafts or first drafts compared to second drafts. And um, I thought I would also throw in here, because we hadn't read it, but just a refresher in case people hadn't heard, that Pyro had asked us to ask our listeners for a new name because he's trying to come up with a new name to go under. And so the next few letters, I'll address that. Yep. So if you're not Pyro, we have some names for you. You can pick which one you like. Well, speaking of Candrel, here's an email from Candrel. <laughs> Greetings again, dear Penwigglers. I must say that I derive great pleasure from the Rat's debut on your podcast. But halfway Yay. through the ordeal, he seemed to loosen up and everything was smooth gliding from there. Wow, Candrel, you are good at the entendres here. <laughs> His pointedly <laughs> different designs sank no, quite... I think he was listening to last week's podcast. <laughs> I don't know if that was that, cool. that was so smooth. That was a lot of effort. Look at that picture. <laughs> His pointedly different design sank quite pleasantly into your otherwise light performance, and the show had me eagerly anticipating every moment of oral manipulation. That's oral with an A-U. Oral. Oral. The rural jerk. <laughs> but on to business. First, to your lupine listener upon whom we should be bestowing a label... Uh, that's referring to Pyro. My immediate response was P-Fang. Now, I'm no baller. My hobbies lie elsewhere. Oh, I think that your writing proves elsewhere. <laughs> but it seems like a wolf needs a moniker that speaks to the feral side. I'm such a bitch, I'm sorry. <laughs> we both are today. Second, it came up in the episode that skill with editing is as important, or more, than with writing. And with some hesitation, I believe I agree. To that effect, though, there's another side to refining a story that every writer I've met suffers from, even though they unanimously deny it. I speak of the ability to accept criticism and the willingness to incorporate outside ideas into your precious story. 
I know that I've become emotionally attached to a story before, to the point that I'd almost rather bin it than actually change it the way than actually change the way I'd written it. I'd still like to think that I'm beyond being hurt by constructive criticism these days, and to a large extent it's true. Still, on occasion, I'll write in a scene or character that is destined for the cut, but whom I love too much to see die such an ignoble death. Do you guys, including guests if there is one this week, no, <laughs> have any examples of criticism that hurt to take and or stories that are too close to your heart to change, even though you know they desperately need it? A turncoat from the Temple of Tongue, Candrel. I wouldn't say that we unanimously deny being able to accept criticism. I think it's most common in novice writers, but I think that everyone has to grow up someday. I'm I'm not sure what... I think he means they deny that they have a problem accepting criticism. Oh, it's sort of like, no, I'm okay. Well, you're like yeah, holding I'm okay back with here. it, but yeah. really deep down inside, you're like, Don't you're playing. Touch my story, and I'll chop your hand off. I was gonna say, deep like down a guy ins- waving from a helicopter. <laughs> I was gonna say, deep down inside, you're playing. Everybody hurts on the back of your head. <laughs> um, uh, no, I I agree. I think that the ability to accept constructive criticism is hugely important for for a learning writer. And honestly, I'm gonna say, most writers do have that reaction, and. I'm not sure that they unanimously deny that it hurts and that there are times when they don't want to take the criticism. A lot of writers that I've read um, dealing with that subject say things like, take the criticism, don't say anything, go sulk about it, or throw things against the wall, or kick the sofa, or kick the cat, or whatever you do when you're upset, and then calm down and ask yourself, is it going to make the story better? <laughs> Humanitarian alert, don't kick the cat. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, I mean, and yeah, I mean, it, it's I, I like... Mean, I meant normal, not Garfield. <laughs> I hate you, normal! <laughs> no. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, but honestly, you know, that is what the phrase murder your darlings is talking about when there's, like you're saying, you know, you're right in a scene or a character that is destined for the cut, but you're just too attached to. And I take issue with that phrase, with some interpretations of that phrase, because some people say murder your darlings means anything you wrote that you just really, really love, you have to get rid of because your love is blinding you to the fact that it's helping your story or not. And I don't agree with that because we've talked about this before. If you take out of your story all the things you love, then A, you're going to be much less motivated to work on the story. And B, it's going to show. And what are your readers going to love if you don't put in the things that you love? Yeah, so it's like, by that logic, it should be like, well, don't date anyone that you're really, really into because your love for them is just blinding you to how much of a jerk they are. But, you know, I come across things like that. Um, there was a, a line that I cut from the out of position draft, which uh, I will, um, in which one character was asking uh, how did, uh, asking about Thanksgiving and said, "How does your boyfriend like his stuffing?" And I just thought, "Oh, that's so cool! I need to keep that in. It's so funny. It makes me laugh." And then I, I looked at it again, and I was like. But it doesn't work in the context. It doesn't belong in the story. So now I get to use it and get all of you to laugh about it. 
I don't know if it's making me laugh. It's making me swish my rudder. <laughs> which is apparently really easy. Like me. I hate you, Normal. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I will I will say about last week's story that um, the main objection that Kit brought up to it was... Um, would uh, would we really need to go to all that work to get you worked up? I mean, couldn't we just like send you home and have a seven foot tall buff wolf in your apartment? Wouldn't that be enough? <laughs> I am not that easy to you know <laughs> trigger into receptive mating. You know to use a you know Discovery Channel term. <laughs> but seven foot tall wolf big white buff wolf yeah but if, what if it was a really long day I'd like been at work for 10 hours and like didn't have any coffee and you I wouldn't want like, him to give you a massage yeah a massage maybe it was like ah, it's gonna be too much work to take a foot long cock I'm just gonna lie down and you can just rub my shoulders until I fall asleep I'll get you in the morning <laughs> maybe thanks sweetie <laughs> <laughs> that's not nearly as fun a story Right, which is why I think that the point of intentionally working me up helps. It builds in the safety net. So noted. <laughs> oh! oh, snap. <laughs> and I'm already out of wine, I do declare. Um, as far as a piece of criticism that really hurt, um, people have generally been pretty good. Uh, I want to say... The people that I talk to with their critiques have been overall really helpful with the criticism and have said, you know, these are the things I really like, but I don't think this scene helps the story. And maybe sometimes I'll be like, but I really like it and I want to keep it in. But you're right. Yeah. And usually I see what they mean. Um, Foosball hacks out a story of mine apart, but none of that really hurt because I know he was doing it from a really good fundamentals He does that out of standpoint. love. Well, no, he does it no. out of hate, but... <laughs> he, does, he does it out of hate, but he doesn't do it... Out um, of spite? Out of spite, yeah. yeah. And he does it equally to everyone, so... Yeah, actually... I mean, and when I say everyone, he says, you know, occasionally in the right mood, I'll do it to Hemingway, too, so... Oh, wow. Um, so I felt okay about it after that. Actually, um... My most relevant piece of deep criticism also involves foosball, which is, you know, when I sent him this story I'd written, and he's like, this is a cool idea, but you didn't do nearly enough with it, and it's not awesome enough. So I was like, all right, fine, fuck you, I'll turn it into a novel. Bam. Right. Which is a good... Eat it, foosball. But that's not a kind of hurtful criticism. That's a, this is a really good idea, and you need to write more of it. That doesn't really hurt. Well, it was more like a, oh, God damn it! don't make me do work, foosball. This story was done when I sent it to you, and now it isn't. You undid all my work, yeah, you son of a still. bitch. Um, I love you, foos. But, um, yeah, as far as uh, stories that are too close to your heart to change, I mean, really the only stories that would qualify for that are, like, things that I would personally have written for Kit, um... You know, the stories that you and I have written back and forth about each other, because those are just personal. I mean, they're meant for an audience of one or yeah. two. And <laughs> or the 250 people who watch RFA. Right. <laughs> um, 
Well, the fact Tell that your they friends, can, add us on FA. The fact that they can enjoy it, too. Yeah, add us on FA. You get to see Zausch pictures now. Yes. Um, but um, honestly, it get you, you get to a point where you say, okay, I really love that story, but I can write another one. And when you've gone through that so many times, it's it's scary, but you start to trust yourself or to the universe or whatever. And I had a, I had a mentor a long time ago who said, you know, trust in the universe. The universe will put the right things in your path. You just have to recognize them, which has really very little to do with this. But I just like to say it from time to time. I was going to say, like... You learned from Obi-Wan Kenobi? <laughs> I knew him as Ben, but but the, the important thing is, you know, if a story's that close to your heart, then don't take criticism about it. I mean, and you don't have to publish it. Show it to the people it's meant for. If it's not that close to your heart, you can write another one. Yeah. And you should keep writing another one. Learn and write and learn and write and learn and write. Because the worst thing you can do is make the same mistakes over and over again. Yeah. Keep doing it. You will learn eventually. Um, so, thank you, Kondral. And uh, we got two short letters to wrap up with. Both suggestions for our um, Pyro Stinger name challenge. First one says, the first one is from Normain. And he says, as for the little challenge with a new name for Pyro, I was thinking of just using the letters in his name. Pyro Stinger equals non-spy, Ron Spy Tiger. Just a thought. So there you go, Ron Spy Tiger. Oh, you're going to get all species confused with that, though. Yeah, well, maybe it could be Ron Tiger Spy, and then he could be like a wolf in tiger clothing. Or a wolf who spies on tigers. In tiger clothing. Oh, mer. <laughs> <laughs> we saw a guy in tiger clothing today, um, and he wasn't a furry. Well, as far as we know. Um, and the second one is from NotTube, and he says, Hey, y'all, shouldn't it be Burn B? Just seems natural. Because Pyro, Stinger, Burn B. <coughs> and I, I, I should say that NotTube also unofficially this weekend suggested P Burn, but... Um, or was it P Stain? <laughs> well, P Stain was a different... That sort of came out of that name but p burn was the first one and uh yeah we we that's, love not to we that's have to, unfortunate not not tube has caught up with the podcast now so we can have him on again oh hey there we go so we should do that maybe uh next week or the week after we'll we'll look at I our will, questions and see what we've got i will point out that uh your baller name does not have to start with you know like the letter doesn't need to be the first letter of your actual name that's true Rikoshi's baller name is J-Pup. J-Pup? Yes. <laughs> That's very cute. Um, when did he get that? Uh, just, I heard Buckhoffer mention it. Oh, okay. Oh, because we're, I think, didn't Rikoshi do a voice on his podcast or something? Uh, he recorded, I'm not sure if it's been aired yet, though. Uh, okay. Well, that's all our letters. We're going to try to keep it a little bit short this week. Um, Kit, Kit rolls his eyes. Compared, compared to the last few weeks, we're a little shorter. We've got uh, email account, unsheathedpodcast at gmail.com. 
We have an FA account under Unsheathed. We've got Twitter accounts. I'm yep. Kyle Gold, all one word. Cam Harasaki, Twitter. And uh, Live Journal, FA. I'm Kyle Gold on Live <laughs> Journal. I'm Kyle on FA, just K Y E L L. Um, and it's under my Kyle account that you can find the text of Unsheathed Presents number four if you want to read that. There were a couple little lines that got missed. Um, Aw, Cam's swishing his rudder. So cute. Uh, But thank you all for writing in. And uh, you guys out there that we called out and you guys out there that we didn't call out, give us us examples of work you've edited and how the final draft came out. And uh, keep on writing. Keep on writing. Keep on reading. I'm Kyle Gold. I am Cam Hirasaki. Good night.